Good stuff. Great God. If you're here tonight, you're watching online, and you know the Lord is your Savior, you're a miracle. Everyone who's saved is a walking miracle. We know God does miracles, all of us. He took us out of the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his son. A miracle. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be looking at another miracle of God tonight, the conversion of Saul. And we're going to concentrate on just the first 22 verses. I know there's a lot more in the chapter. I may hit one or two things, but I really want to concentrate for our purposes tonight on the conversion of Saul. I mean, at the end of the chapter, it's not like great things aren't happening. Peter heals a man by the name of Aeneas, and then he raises a young woman by the name of Tabitha from the dead. And we're going to certainly talk about Peter in the next coming couple of weeks. But tonight, we really do want to zero in on the conversion of Saul. It is one of the most significant things that happens in the early church. In fact, it is so significant that Luke, in the book of Acts, mentions it or gives us details about his conversion three different times. And then Paul relates his conversion in Galatians chapter 1. So four times in the New Testament, Saul's conversion is related to us. And there's many reasons why. One of them is because Saul is an example. That it doesn't matter what our past is. It doesn't matter what we've done. There is no one beyond the reach of God. There is no one beyond the grace of God. No one. I mean, you read the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 9. Saul was the number one threat to the early church. In fact, it says he was still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples. If the early church had like the FBI does, the 10 most wanted, if the early church had the 10 most threatening figures, Paul would have been number one, public enemy number one to the church. And yet God saved him. He even in verse 2 requested letters from the high priest to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he could bring them back as prisoners to Jerusalem. Notice, Saul was hunting Christians like many do animals. That's how Saul felt about Christians. They were animals to be hunted down and killed. Now, 
a couple of things before we move on. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but what I'm about to say actually reaches back to our time with Stephen. I want us to make a connection tonight that maybe you've never seen or made in your own mind, and I, I definitely want to emphasize it tonight because I think it's important. And that is that the conversion of Saul, I am convinced, was an answer to Stephen's prayer. Remember what Stephen prayed as he was being stoned to death? Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. Don't hold what they're doing to me against me. Give them all, including Saul, who was there, holding the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen and agreeing that this was the right thing to do, Stephen prayed, Lord, give them all a second chance with you. Do not withhold your grace from them for what they've done to me. Do not have second thoughts about your plan and your purpose for them and the potential that they could have, Lord, if they're in your hand. And I believe that God answered Stephen's prayer by not holding what Saul did that day or any other day against him. That shows a couple things. That, that shows, obviously, the power of prayer, that God answers prayer. And, and if you're still praying for unsaved loved ones and friends and and co-workers and all of that, you keep praying. Because until they take their last breath, there's always hope. And even then, we don't know what takes place in the human heart before they go out into eternity. And this also then reminds us again of, of even the difference that one person can make in someone's life. And let's remember something. Stephen and Saul really didn't know each other. Can you imagine when Saul finally died and he went to heaven and met Stephen? What that was like? And I say that to encourage you. Pray for others. And not just those that aren't saved. Pray for Christians. We don't know the power of our prayers and how God will use them and how they can influence the lives of others, even those we might never meet or come into contact with on this earth. Stephen and Saul are a great example of that. The other thing I want us to note, though, in verse 2, and this is a description that Luke is going to use throughout the rest of his letter or book to describe the people of God, and it's significant. You'll notice it there in verse 2. If he found any who belonged to the way. And obviously this reminds us of the words of Jesus. I am what? The way, the truth, the life. 
It speaks about a distinctive way of life centered in Jesus Christ. Shaped by Jesus. You and I should be people of the way. There should be a distinctive way that we are living our life centered in Jesus, shaped and inspired by Jesus. And this description also reminds us it's a lifestyle. It's something that you and I do every day of the week, not just on Sundays and Wednesday nights. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's a lifestyle. We don't turn on and turn off our Christianity like a light switch. It's always on. And you see this emphasized even towards the end of the chapter. If you just follow along with me just over to verse 31 for a second, notice what it says about the church. Chapter 9, verse 31, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced peace and thus was strengthened. And then notice this word, living. Again, that means it was a lifestyle. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and the church increased in numbers. I want you to note something before we go back to the beginning of the chapter and start talking about the conversion of Saul. Notice something here in verse 31. The Bible teaches, and this is why we have the philosophy that we do at the Oasis, or I should say, as the pastor of the Oasis, this is why I promoted this philosophy throughout our 13 and a half years of existence as a church because I think it's the biblical way. And that is, you'll note here in verse 31, that the physical or numerical growth of the church is a byproduct of the spiritual growth. Do you see that there in verse 31? First of all, they are living in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and then the church increases in number. You and I will not need to focus on the physical numerical growth of our church. All we have to do is keep growing spiritually, keep living in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and the numerical and physical growth will take care of itself. Because there's no greater witnesses, no greater evangelists, no greater promoters of Christianity than those who are engaged with Christ every day and who are growing every day and who are devoted worshipers of Christ every day. If you are part of a church body where they're focused on the physical growth and not the spiritual growth, then when they do physically grow through whatever, you know, programs or promotions or whatever they have, they do not have the spiritual foundation then to be able to handle the physical growth. So that's why then they're left with all these people and they don't know how to grow them and make disciples out of them and why again many times we're left with ministries and stuff that are a mile wide and an inch deep if we focus as the bible teaches us to on the spiritual growth then when the physical growth comes there will be a spiritual foundation of disciples who are able to handle the physical growth that god brings in Back to chapter 9, the beginning. 
as Paul was going, approaching Damascus, verse 3, suddenly, suddenly, unexpectedly, a light from heaven flashed around him. We sung about just one touch. In just a moment, everything can change, and that certainly happened for Saul. God can break in and intervene and, and illuminate any time. A life can change in a split second, and that's what happened to Saul. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Note a couple things. One, the Lord knew Saul's name. The Lord knows everyone's name. The Lord knows your name. Can you imagine? This man is, he's as determined, he's a, as anything to go there to Damascus and round up more Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. And God stops him dead in his tracks. Sometimes that's what takes place. And notice that Jesus is making an incredible statement here to Saul in verse 4, one that we all need to take note of. He is absolutely, completely, and totally identifying with his own people. Notice he doesn't say to Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting my people? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus' perspective is if you are one of mine, then anything that is done to you, they're doing it to me. You and I need to remember that. Especially when we think God doesn't see what I'm going through, God doesn't care, God, God doesn't know what they're doing to me, what they're saying about me. Oh, no, no, just the opposite. Jesus so identifies with his people that whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever trial you and I are going through, he is absolutely identifying 100% with it. It's as if he's going through it with us. Because that's what he was saying to Saul. You're not persecuting these people. You're actually persecuting me. Wow. That would have been an eye-opener. Because, remember, th 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 this voice is coming from heaven. And Paul thinks he's doing God a service. Can you imagine, just like many people throughout history, I, I mean, this guy was as convinced that he was right and that he was doing God's will of anybody who's ever lived on planet Earth. And he was 100% wrong. He was sincere and genuine. As the, If somebody would have interviewed Saul a couple days before this happened, he would have told you 
with everything he could within him that I am doing the will of God by rounding up Christians. I'm serving my God. I'm being faithful to my God. And he was 100% wrong. I mean, God is literally turning this man's life upside down. Can you imagine being in the position of Saul where everything you lived for up to this point, you're finding out was wrong? And that everything that you were doing, instead of it being God's will, was actually against God? So he says, verse 5, who are you? And notice, the Lord says, I'm Jesus. Listen, Saul knew who Jesus was. That's the whole deal. That's why he's rounding up. This Jesus is a false messiah. He is someone who came on the scene and has taken all these people to follow him. And he's no different than any other false messiah that's ever existed. And now, thinking that he's dead, here's Jesus speaking to Saul on the road to Damascus. Jesus says, rise, verse 6, stand up and enter the city and you will be told what you must do. We're going to take this, Saul, one step at a time. I'm going to give you instruction. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to direct you from here. But I'm just going to do it one step at a time because I have other people that I'm going to bring in to surround you. Because here's something else we are reminded of in the conversion of Saul. Salvation never takes place in a vacuum. Spiritual growth never takes place in a vacuum. There's always people that God is using surrounding us and others even before we're saved and then bringing us to the point of salvation. And then after we're saved, God strategically is going to bring people into our lives. Listen, not that God needs to use any of us. God could do it all on his own and do it perfectly. But God wants human beings who follow him to have the blessing of being used by him. And God is looking for the same kind of people today who understand I'm missing out if I don't seize the opportunities that God is giving me to serve him because he wouldn't need to ask me to do this. He wants me to do it, not for his sake, but for my sake. I'm the one that gets the blessing when I join God and participate in what he's doing. Well, the men traveling with Saul stood there. They heard a voice, verse 7, Saul, no one. Saul got up. Although his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and they led him by the hand. His companions brought him. How humbling. How humbling for this man that was public enemy number one of the church and going to march into Damascus and going to take care of things. And now... He is humbled. He has to be led by by those that were with him, and he can't see. 
And we know that even though his sight is in some way restored, that I believe from this moment on, this is why Saul had an eyesight problem. This is why later on he talks about needing others to write his letters for him. And, and when he does write, he says, I apologize for writing in such big letters because I, I don't have very, I think it goes all the way back to that day, that light. I can only imagine the glory of God. I mean, you know, I've been taught from the time I was a, don't look straight at the sun. It'll, you know, damage your eyes. Can you imagine the glory of God? His eyes were never the same. For three days, he could not see at all, and he neither ate nor drank anything, verse 9. Ah, but verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, a devoted follower of the Lord. And the Lord says to him in a vision, Ananias, and he replied, here I am, Lord. Oh, that's a great response. Remember, the most important thing is our availability, not our ability. We are to make ourselves available. If we make ourselves available, God will enable us with all the ability that we need. All he asks of us is to just make ourselves available. Here I am, Lord. That's what he's looking for in all of our lives. What do you need, God? Now notice something. Again, God would not have needed to use Ananias. But one of the things that this also is teaching us, as we've talked about many times before in our study of the Word of God, is that God works on all sides of the equation or the situation. God is leading Saul, and he's going to continue to lead Saul to who? Ananias. And now God is appearing to Ananias and he's going to lead Ananias to Saul. When God is involved in something, it's not going to be one party feels like this way and the other party's not getting any direction or anything. No, if God is in it, he will work on both ends. That's one of the reasons how you know God's in it. Because God just won't work on one side, he works on both. And here's the cool thing, God can do that. We can't. And the Lord can use multiple means to speak to us any way that he wants to. Here, he uses a vision. And the Lord told him in verse 11, get up and go to the street straight at Judas's house. Look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying already. And he's seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in, place his hands on him so that he may see again. Notice something here also. God is in the details. God knows exactly what street and where he's going to be and how they're going to meet. God has this all figured out ahead of time. Hopefully that will be comforting to all of us as we follow the Lord. And then I love this though. Ananias, as devoted as he is, he's human. He knows who Saul is. He's like, Saul's going around murdering Christians. So Ananias replied, verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He has authority to do here, and it's like, uh, yeah. I don't know. 
Well, God chooses his most special servants for his most difficult tasks. And this was going to be a difficult task. Would you have wanted to be the Christian that God tapped to be the go-between between Paul and the early church? Saul? That's the assignment that God was giving Ananias. And Ananias had to trust the Lord here and had to believe God can save anybody. And God had already told Ananias up in verse 11, get up and go. But, you know, Ananias is hesitating because of the reputation of Saul. And so notice God in verse 15, go, move. Because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and the people of Israel. Whoa, there's a lot there. Let's talk about this. First of all, God says to Ananias, Saul is my chosen instrument. You know what that means? My weapon of choice. In other words, God is reminding Ananias. We're engaged Ananias in spiritual battles and spiritual warfare here. This isn't just flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle and war that is continually going on. And I, God, understand that my people are a part of it. And Saul was on the other side of this spiritual battle, but now I, God, have turned my greatest enemy into my greatest servant. And he's going to be my weapon of choice to continue to take more ground for the kingdom and to take ground away from the evil one. I want you to see yourself that way. You are to be a weapon of choice in God's hands in the spiritual battles. And God has designed you in such a way and gifted you in such a way and given you the experiences he has throughout your life in such a way that you are going to be his weapon of choice in certain situations and instances. Because just like Saul, Saul was perfectly designed, equipped, and experienced for the task that God was going to call him to do. And God feels the same way about each of you. Don't just see yourself as a child of God. That's great. That's wonderful. Don't just see yourself as a servant of God. See yourself every once in a while as a weapon of God's choice. You know, the Bible even tells us in the book of Psalms that even children, our children, are to be arrows. God even says children can be my weapons of choice at times in this spiritual battle. And then he says, to carry my name. Ooh, that's huge. Why? Because we are to do the same thing every day. To carry the name of Jesus Christ to everyone we meet and everywhere we go. And carrying the name of Jesus means that we carry all the power 
and all the authority and all that the name of Jesus Christ means, that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, that there is no name higher or greater than the name of Jesus, that there is no name that carries with it more authority or power than the name of Jesus. And you and I are not only to look at ourselves as weapons of God's choice, but as carriers of the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ every day. And then verse 16, for I will show him, God says, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Like many people who follow the Lord, God was saying to Ananias, Saul's life from this point on is not going to be easy. He's going to be used greatly. He's going to make a huge difference in eternity. I will use him maybe like no other servant, but he's going to suffer every step of the way. And I want to broaden tonight as we wrap up this conversion of Saul a little bit, our understanding of what it means to suffer. Because when we think of that word, we start to get certain thoughts and pictures and whatever in our head. But I want you to see another aspect of suffering from God's perspective that maybe you haven't looked at it that way before. This word suffer is a unique word. It speaks about God giving Paul a greater capacity to feel and be affected by things. And that God considers that suffering like some of you, in contrast to others who may have very little feeling, very little empathy, very little sympathy, that things can happen to others and people around them, and it really doesn't affect them. There are others of you that feel so big, have such a big and great heart, have such a great capacity to empathize and sympathize that you not only are deeply affected by the things that affect and hit you, but you are also very deeply affected and feel what's going on around you. And God says, that's suffering. Because I've given you a greater capacity through me to be able to feel and be affected. And Paul was one of those people. It's not that he just went through hard times. Listen, later on in this chapter, they, people try to kill him twice, right after he gets saved. And he'll be hunted down, just like David is being hunted down that we're talking about. But that's not the only way that we can suffer. We also suffer by being affected more by things and being able to feel more than others. So Ananias departed, verse 17, entered the house, placed his hands on Saul, and don't miss these next two words. 
These two words, we can't even imagine what this meant to Saul. When Ananias walked up to Saul and says, Brother Saul, this man's been murdering Christians. This man's been hunting down Christians like animals. And now through his vision and revelation that God has given him, he is reaching out the right hand of fellowship to Saul and he's welcoming him in to the brotherhood of the church and saying, Brother Saul, wow. We, again, it is a reminder of how powerful our words can be and they don't have to be a lot of words. Here, two words. Boy, did they make an impact. Did they have a wallop? Make this personal. Think about someone that you consider to be your enemy. And you hear through the grapevine that they've given their heart to the Lord. And yet... They've caused you a lot of pain in your life. And some Sunday you're here at the Oasis at one of the two services and you look up and there they are. How much would it mean to them for to see you walk back and reach out your hand and say, I'm so glad you're here, brother or sister. Welcome. That's what Ananias was doing. To Saul, and Saul needed that. You know, Saul, Saul might have thought, these Christians are going to hate me my whole life. I'm never going to be accepted. And, and that's true to a point. Some probably never did. But so many others realized the transformation that God brought about. And they embraced Brother Saul. Immediately, it says in verse 20, that he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, this man is the son of God. And this reminds us, listen, I'm I'm not against theological education and all of that, but so many times Christians, they they feel like they've got to know so much about the Bible and whatever to begin to witness and evangelize and, and, and share their faith with people. No, you don't. No, you don't. I mean, I'm not saying that as you grow spiritually, that obviously the more you understand the word of God and all of that, that will give you a greater capacity. But just like Saul, all that is necessary is just to let people know the difference Jesus has made. All that's necessary is just to know Jesus is the son of God and Jesus loved me and Jesus died for my sins on the cross and Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus, once I was blind, now I see. That's all that we need. That's all they need. And that's all Paul was doing at this point. Just proclaiming the difference that Jesus made in his life. One other thing. You'll notice it says in verse 21, well, all who were hearing him were amazed, saying, is this not the same guy? Yeah, it is the same guy but he's not the same guy anymore because God got a hold of his heart and he's now a new creation 
And old things are going to start passing away and all things are going to start becoming new in Paul's life or in Saul's life. One more thing. Verse 22. This is important and this is where I wanted to end tonight. Saul became more and more capable. There's the growth. Yes, he began immediately to tell people about Jesus. But he also set himself on the path of spiritual growth. And I want you to lock in on those words more and more. Because those are words that God wants us to lock in in our own life. God wants us to gain more and more of him and become more and more capable. What's the word capable mean? More and more empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit because we've been looking in the book of Acts of how the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world in a person's life. And Paul, listen, as a Pharisee, as someone who sat under Gamaliel, he knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. Didn't interpret it very well, but he knew it. What Saul needed to learn to do, which is what you and I need to learn to do, is not just have a greater understanding of the scriptures, but we all, up until the time we die, can continue to grow and become more and more empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit and to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. And Paul had to do that too. As much as Paul brought to the table, remember Paul said, I count all things for loss except the knowledge of Jesus. It didn't matter that I was circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin and a Pharisee and all the, uh, you know. To, to Paul, that didn't matter. What really mattered was I want more of Jesus and I want to learn how to walk with the Spirit more and more. And that's what that phrase, more and more capable, means. And God wants us to take that same principle and let that be an inspiration to our own Christian life to never become complacent, to never be satisfied where we're at and how much we've grown and how much we've learned and whatever, because all of us can all learn more and more how to become more empowered and more enabled by the Holy Spirit, to be more filled by the Holy Spirit, to be more controlled and more influenced, more consistently, all the time. And so God says, set your eyes on the more and more. You're on the right path. Just keep going. Father, we thank you tonight for this great passage of Scripture, for the comfort, the encouragement, the strength, Lord, that it gives all of us. And Lord, we thank you for answering Stephen's prayer. We thank you, God, for your grace that Lord, no one is beyond your grace. If you can save Saul, you can save anybody. If you can use Saul, you can use anybody. And Lord, I pray that all of us might see ourselves even through the lens of Saul's conversion. 
that much of the things that surround Saul's conversion also apply and are relevant to our own walk with you every day. We carry your name every day. We are your weapon of choice every day in this spiritual battle. We can immediately tell people about Jesus and we can become more and more capable each and every day. So God used the conversion of Saul to inspire and motivate your people tonight. And in the days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. God bless.